that is the way I've always played it. Now that you say that, so. yeah, 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 that makes. Uh, <laughs> you're, oh, you're. Oh yeah, that is a bit easier. <laughs> oh, that's fine. I, I, that's good to explain different ways. Yeah. It makes it more full. <laughs> Actually, we'll go back um, in case uh, my middle thought maybe we're all for everyone set.
It's so All right, good morning, everyone. Um, we'll have, as, uh, as people start coming in um, from the lobby, if you are out in the lobby and would like to join us, please come in through the, the front door. We, we have the front door doors open today. Um, the, the back doors are, are locked. We're having a sectioned off for uh, area for guests that have um, tested positive. Thanks, thanks everyone for uh, being accommodating, wearing masks, helping protect our guests and our everyone else. Um, yeah, as uh, as everyone starts coming in, we'll we'll start doing a couple of songs here. Um, stand if you'd like, or stay seated. Do some. Let's let's worship. Lord, thank you for this day. Um, thanks for. Uh, that we're able to gather, um, that we're able to grow, and um, may you be near us, and Lord, help us um, engage um, with you today. Joy comes in the morning. 
kingdom is backwards it flows in reverse what you call a treasure this world calls a curse the small become great and the last become first kingdom is backwards lord teach us to serve as it is with your kingdom, let it be with your church. Hallelujah. Have a seat. Good morning, church. My name is Dan, and it's good to be here. We're going to have time for testimonies or God sightings. How have you seen God, or how has God been at work that you'd like to share with us today? As you may have noticed, we've got a number of guests in our church, and uh, I've already seen God in a number of ways. Uh, I was involved driving folks from uh, St. Mary's Catholic Church over to here this morning. And uh, I saw God at work uh, in uh, some of the volunteers working already, especially Sister Allison, who's done so much work. And uh, she was there organizing things, you know, and just, just uh, she was just amazing. But seeing some of the other folks work as volunteers takes so many of us, and I saw God there. But I also saw God in our guests, and uh, you know, as it picked up three people, and as we're driving and sharing and talking, you know, they literally uh, said blessing over me, and and uh, it was a joy to receive uh, their blessing. And we shared some uh, stories and stuff, and then just a few moments ago. <laughs> I was in the restroom, and we had this little fellowship between me and a brother who was staying there, sharing stories and uh, giving a hug, and, and it was just really, really neat. So seeing God in our guests, and uh, so those are some ways that I've seen God. Does anybody have a God sighting you'd like to share? Good morning, church. So a lot of you know with, you know, me and Ryan, our journey and what it's been like in the last couple of years. And when we lost Kyle, we almost lost mom as well. And one of the biggest issues is we could not get her kidneys right. There's something called creatinine and the levels, you don't want them very high, but hers are just off the charts high. And every day we're like, okay, where's the creatinine level at? And she was on dialysis for hours every day, hours every other day, but we didn't know. I mean, we should have, in theory, probably lost her, much less her start functioning and be healthy. 
So if you go to the kidney doctor, there are different levels and four is really bad. Like if you get to five, you may as well not have kidneys. And so, okay, we're off dialysis, but how do things look? And she was at like three going on four, and but she got the okay that you can come every six months. And okay, well, you're getting to three, you're almost two, and at the age she's at, really, she should be getting people's level goes up anyway. So she probably should have settled at a certain point, or she could have as age as a factor just, you know, your kidneys have worked hard for a long time. So not only have they functioned and them have healing, we just found out she's down to a level two and that is a really, really big deal because she went from basically may as well not have kidneys to like, yeah, your kidneys should be, you know, not working or they should be old kidneys, but they keep healing and they keep going back. And I don't know, God can just touch things and heal things and that's really cool. Amen, amen, hallelujah. Anybody else? Any other stories? Okay. Brother Ed. Thank you. So as I've shared with you all uh, before, one of my avocations is I'm a partner in a design firm. And this is a, was a calling from God that I help out my friend. She was called to start this business to provide mentoring to women who needed to learn about business and working in business and being in business. There are six or seven of us involved in this now, and just one is what I would characterize as weak or non-believer. She has throughout the years, though, asked us why we believe and asked us for our witness and our testimony. Last Tuesday, she asked us what Bible she should start reading, wow. what translation. Amen. So praise the Lord. You never know. Keep working. <laughs> Keep sharing your faith. Yes. Okay, anybody else? God's story to share. Yes. So uh, earlier this week, I found out that um, I'm not, I was really hoping I would get this really nice scholarship to my top college that would allow me to go there. And I recently learned that I am not going to be able to move on to the next phase of getting that, which I was pretty disappointed about. A lot of stuff is up in the air. But I had this I don't know, vision, I guess, that um, of God like standing next to me. And um, he said, I know, I know it's hard, but we're going to walk these next few steps together. All right. And I know it was really comforting. Amen. Amen. Others? Anybody else? Yes. I meant to share this a couple weeks ago, but I had to just fully form my words, so I wrote it out. Um, so while we were traveling over Christmas, I went home to my, the church I grew up in. And I have a complicated relationship with that church, and I had avoided going for many years. And like, I, but I felt I wanted to see my friends, so I went. 
And like a message that I carried with me um, growing up there was that like the idea of like, be good or else, God will whatever. And I had wondered um, if it was something that I had just picked up or if it was something that was fed to me. And that morning, the message was entitled, Be the Good Soil. <laughs> and I was sitting there, and I could only think about what happened, like, the point that wasn't said is that what happens, like, if you're not. Like, there was just no hope in it. And, like, thankfully, I had the message that Bonnie spoke over the summer of like, sometimes we are all the different kinds of soil. Sometimes our circumstances overwhelm us and choke us, and we can get carried away with different messages. And so I felt bolstered in that and not like despairing. Um, but while I was there, I also had a picture of like that picture of Jesus, like gathering calling to Israel and wanting to gather them as the hen gathers yes. her chicks. And I thought about, like, people that I've grown up with that still attend there, people that have left there because, probably, like, just I can imagine for the reasons. And, like, I'm writing a book, and it's about my journey into grace. And, like, I finished the rough draft in October, and I kind of have left it for a while, and I just thought, like, maybe that story was just for me. Um, and just that day, like, I feel like God just said, you know, like, it's for them, too. Yes. And just to keep going. So yes. have it printed off and in my possession, and here we go. <laughs> All right. All right. Very good. Hi, my name's Amy. Um, so there is a person in my life that has struggled with addiction for the last four years or so, and it's kind of ruled this person's life in some bad ways. And um, he's not sure what he believes, um, but my husband and I just decided to just enter into a special time of prayer um, at the beginning of January for this person. and. He has been uh, sober for two and a half weeks now, and he doesn't know why. I don't think that he, I'm just praying that he will understand the reason for his freedom and that he will come to believe. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Okay. Ah, Seth. Seth was one of the people I saw in action this morning. That's right. <laughs> um, I spend a, a lot of my prayer times in the morning uh, coming to grips with the limited role I have in guiding my kids or, you know, knowing where they're going to wind up in their lives, you know, and uh, I spend a lot of that time sort of giving to God, like, okay, or coming to grips with the limits of my role there and, and saying, okay, Lord, you know, my job is just a couple of these things and your job is to, and literally, I, I say to God, your job is to 
walk with my kids. <laughs> His job is to walk with my kids and to plan for their lives. And I say that to God in the mornings. And this is the first I've heard of what God said to Sam about this thing. And I have also been struggling and thinking about how he's feeling and, you know, how he's dealing with this. So that's a big encouragement for me this morning. Amen. Amen. So uh, maybe to wrap up, uh, I'm sitting where Harvey sits, and Harvey Curley often leads the testimonies. Uh, he's, Harvey's been having some real troubles lately, and uh, uh, his heart has been going crazy. I mean, way up, way down in his pulse. And uh, they gave him a monitor to kind of measure it uh, for a month. But after just a few days, they said, this is terrible. And they put him in uh, surgery. He was in surgery yesterday, I think it was, and uh, got a pacemaker put in. And, uh, and uh, he's home. He's doing better. And so let's pray for, for Harvey and all the needs we've seen, the celebrations and, and the, the, the ongoing concerns, the support that's needed. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the ways that you show up in our lives, uh, the ways you walk with us, sometimes when we don't even recognize your presence, but you're there and you're ever faithful, and we thank you for that. We pray that you'll walk with Harvey and Carol today. Just let them know your love and your care. We pray that you'll be with this one who's been been uh, clean for a couple weeks, and may he be able to walk strong in that day by day. We thank you for this uh, woman who's taken a Bible and is going to be reading, and uh, just pray that you'll guide her and direct her. And uh, Lord, we just thank you for all the ways that you show up. And uh, when the future's uncertain, like with Sam, we pray that you would meet his need and that you'll have an even better future for him, for your purposes that he hasn't even dreamed of, uh, that you can do above and beyond what we act or think. And may he, may he rest in that. Uh, bless, uh, bless all the, the efforts to, to share your word uh, in one way or another, and uh, may you be glorified. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right, thanks. Thank you all for for sharing. Let's do one more song. Um, feel free to stand or stay sitting. Jesus paid it all. Paid it all, all to 
sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. All right, good morning, church. My name is Liv. Welcome to Genesis. We're so glad that you're with us and that you've joined us on our first day of the Warming Center. The next two weeks, we will be hosting um, our friends uh, in the community, the unhoused, here at Genesis. So thank you for wearing the mask today and for the next two weeks. We really appreciate it. So I will get into that in a minute because we do need a couple more hands to help. But if you, if you do fill out a physical green card, there are some in the pews um, 
in front of you. This is just to keep us updated on your information. You can, when you fill that out, you can put it in the wooden box in the back of the sanctuary. Although, are we coming through, Bo? Is that side locked on the side? It's still there. Okay, great. Thank you. I'm saying that. I don't actually know if that's true. Um, so you can also place your physical offering there if that's something that you do or you don't give via text or, um, uh, you know, online. So when you give your financial support to Genesis, it's a multiple um, causes that you are going to, obviously keeping the heat on here at the church, paying the staff, things like warming center and the um, compassion, the, excuse me, the community cafe that happens monthly on Saturdays here to those in need. So you're giving, make sure that all those things happen and Genesis, the church is fully funded by your financial support. So we greatly appreciate that. E even in this morning's text, if you belong to the eBlast, there is a link that you can go right to that and make a donation. So if you belong here uh, in terms of a number of years, or this is just a safe place for you to be on Sunday, please uh, consider your giving. So as I mentioned, Genesis, and, along with a couple of other churches, we are hosting here physically overnight, the overnight warming center for the next couple of weeks, including the weekend day program. So thank you for those of you who had already signed up. There's a number of volunteer opportunities from showers to meals and overnight house, but we do need a few more volunteers. So you can feel free to pull out your phone and look at your calendar. But we have one of our overnight host shifts coming up just this Wednesday on January 24th. So if you think very early in the morning on Wednesday, before you would normally get up, 1.45 to 7.15 a.m. That is still open. We do need somebody else. You'll get extra bonus points if you raise your hand right now. Um, but feel free, there will be some of us out in the lobby by the poster boards. If you have questions about that, if you have not done that before and you're willing to step into that, we would love that. Secondly, uh, there's two more shifts, sorry. Second week, Tuesday, January 30th, same shift, 1.45 a.m., 7.15 a.m. So you can go to bed at 8, take a little cat nap, set your alarm, get up, roll out of bed, and come and relieve the folks who have been there, um, will be there through the 2 a.m. shift. And then lastly, we have a weekend daytime host, which is our last day, Sunday, February 4th, from 1.15 to 7.30. So we are looking to fill those open spots um, we'd love to, you to consider signing up to be a host sub as well. These folks are really our heroes, but you get to determine which day. So if it doesn't work for you, you've got some big presentation on, you know, Wednesday, but Thursday, you know, you could be called if that was the case. And if you decide to be a general sub, you do not get called in the middle of the night. This is in somebody, you know, gives us 24, 48 hours notices that they're, they're sick or their kids are sick or something and they just can't come in. So you would know in advance. However, there are emergency subs. So if you are a super duper superhero and you're willing to get called at either 8 p.m. or 2 a.m. to get called and fill in a spot right away, we would love that. Um, we really do need to cover all of our shifts with subs just in case because life happens. And we, we really don't call in subs very often, but we'd like to be prepared. So we are also still accepting cash donations via Venmo uh, to purchase supplies and cover some of the costs that the church isn't able to 
in general and the, those who are taking part in it, things like extra mass, more air purifiers, et cetera, special snacks and things that we do on the weekends that should be on the poster board as well or in the weekly email. So you'll find more details in the Sign Up Genius page. There's QR codes. You don't have an excuse to not sign up. We would really love for you to participate in some way and for us to be doing this truly as a body and as a community. So please let us know if you have questions. We are you know, excited to be in, in the midst of this, utilizing our space this way and supporting um, our friends in the community. So at this time, stand up, say hello, make a connection to someone next to you and we'll continue our worship. Thirty-six. Okay, we're doing all right. Good morning. All right. Good morning. So if you are here in the room, I've got a little handout for you. 
If you didn't get one, would love for you to grab one of these if you need one. Thank you, Mike. And then Mike will also give some out to others. So, so these are just some good steps. These are some cues that we're going to be doing for the next four weeks. Um, a little note on the back of it. I, when, I, when I got married and we went to marriage counseling, the marriage counselor did this thing on rules of fair fighting. Like 10 rules. And we kept it on our refrigerator for the longest time just to be reminded, oh, this is how you fair fight. This is how you fight. But you do so appropriately. Here's the rules. Here's our, here's our guide frame for that. So um, for many of us, we've been taught a lot of things in life. You know, at some time, maybe you were taught how to do CPR. You come across somebody, you went to a class, you were, you were taught how to do that. Um, maybe you were taught that when you have a wound or a cut or something like that, what to do with it. Yeah, yeah, right? You're going to, you know, do, and all depends, and, and everything depends on the context. A scrape is way different than squirting blood. I kicked a stepbrother in the nose on accident once, and a blood bubble came out. I've never seen anything like it. I thought it was like his heart coming out of his nose. Right? So you got to be prepared for whatever, but it's all about the context. We learn certain things, but uh, sometimes we don't. And there's one thing that's clear in American society. We are not good at knowing how to repair harm. Meaning when you hurt someone, most of us weren't taught how to repair it, how to make it right. We've, we've had certain things. I mean, initially when it's kids, because again, when you're kids, the harm is pretty minimal. And so you're taught, so you're sorry. That's typically the extent. So we were sitting together, and we were small group leaders, and um, Nasha, who is remote today doing the slides for us, says, but we need to teach people how to make an apology. And part of that was just the context of coming out of our all-inclusive series where we were talking about racism. We were talking about um, classism. We were talking about ageism. We were talking about what were the other isms we had in there. Um, sexism, don't I mean homophobic and transphobic. And so it's only a matter of time, you're going to say something stupid. It's only a matter of time. And then we're like, most people don't know how to even make that right after the case. So Nasha, we need to teach about this. Lo and behold, that same day, I jack up and, and hurt somebody. You know, I do something offensive. I, we were hosting a lunch. Um, we had all kinds of food for the leaders, and I didn't clean up good after it. I did like bare minimum. And then so Manya, who's here all day as well doing the stuff, has to clean up and wipe things down on my behalf. And she shoots a text out there just saying, hey, I'm really upset. I had to clean up after people, and I'm exhausted too. And I'm like, suck, that was me. I was the one, and we talk about this a lot. We say, um, um, don't go to church. Like, your mom doesn't go to church here unless she does. So that's one of our sayings. Your mom doesn't go to church here. And what that means is clean up after yourself, right? So 
Um, and, and, and I didn't. So I knew that I had offended. I, I, had, I had stolen time from Manya. And I'm like, all right, what do, what do, I, what do I do? So I, I, I respond back in the text. So that, that, that's it. But, but in this example was a chance for me, like, how do I make that right? So that's what we're going to talk about for the next four weeks. Um, I love the testimony time in here today. I love just that, that like, these, these sort of that senses of, like, who are we and where are we? When we think about the good fruit like, or the, the soil of our lives. And I am all soils. Right? I'm rocky. I'm thorny. I am that. And there's other parts that are good. And that's where I'm coming in today. And more than likely, you might be that too. So I like that encouragement, that reminder. We might bear it all today. And so we're counting on the grace of God to meet us where we are. Uh, Jill, I liked that sort of word, like, be good or else. I was raised in a context like that, and I have a tendency to want to, like, let's get it right. I, I, I don't get it right in so many ways, and this is not one of those things. And so today, I, I want to talk about how to make apology, but really the five steps of repentance, not for the sake of just getting it right, but for the sake of loving people. And so that's where we're going to go today. We're going to talk about the five steps, get a little bit of context, practice a little bit, and then next week we're going to do it again. We're going to talk about personal relationships, so as it applies specifically to our personal relationships. Why are we doing it again? Because most of us haven't learned how to do it, and we're going to try to be playful with it because all the areas of the people who might be mad at you are rising to the surface, and then everyone you're mad at and hoping that they would do this is rising to the surface, and maybe we're all shutting down immediately. So let's do our best to push all that to the side for the chance to learn, and, and we'll move forward from there. Then two weeks from now, we're going to talk about what do you do when you've been wronged from an institution, a church, a school, your workplace, and then we're going to talk about forgiveness and repentance on the, on the fourth week. So that's what we're going to do. Our hope is that maybe we'll be able to practice this in the course of the next month, meaning that over the next month, you might harm somebody. I, I, did I say hopefully you might harm somebody in the next month? <laughs> I think I did. Okay, thank you. Uh, hopefully, we'll have the opportunity to practice loving somebody by it actually engaging and stepping to them for harm that we have caused. It matters. And so that's what we want to talk about today. Uh, part of it was inspired. Carmel had reminded me as I pulled her. We were, we were chatting about this. And I was like, oh, I want to, and I'm, I'm really excited about it. I love stuff like this. And so I know that I get overboard and um, get a little bit too intense. So I'm really pulling back because I get a little bit crazy. It's kind of what my mom does too. And her jaw comes out and I get that way too. And I'm like, oh, we're going to do, you know. So pulling it back. Uh, there's a book. Her name is Rabbi Danya. Um, Ruttenberg. She wrote a book called Repentance and Repair. How uh, We got an image of the book. We can kind of throw it up there, but it's um, how to make amends in an unapologetic world. And so she wrote this. She's a, she's a modern uh, rabbi, and I'm using a lot of her. This is the five steps or things that she has put together, and I think they're just kind of really cool and, and really good. So if you're interested or if you're like, man, um, 
Bo, I, I, all I can think about is people who have harmed me. What can I do? And it's like, I don't know. You can send them this book. Are you all right? Uh, so specifically, we're not talking about people who have harmed you. We're talking about, we're going to come at this from the perpetrator side, meaning we have harmed people or we've been bystanders of harm. So everything we're talking about is like us taking the initiative at the harm that we have done. So that's the full context about people who take the initiative and some steps. If you know that you've caused harm, what do you do? That's, that's where we're, we're going after it is our context from today. So uh, why are we talking about this? And Danya starts a book with a, a few things. Number one, we all cause harm sometimes. Everyone causes harm sometimes. Maybe it's intentional. Maybe it's a calculated attempt to gain power. Maybe it's from um, responding from anger or spite. Maybe it's out of carelessness or ignorance or reaction to fear. Maybe it's because we're overwhelmed and we drop some balls. Or maybe it's because we're acting out of our own trauma. Regardless of it, we all cause harm sometimes, sometime or another, Understanding what to do when you cause harm is going to be helpful. Number two, we are all, we've all been harmed as well. This has happened. We've all been harmed. We all nurse stories about the tender places where we've been bumped, cut, and battered by others, by people or institutions or systems. Some have healed. Sometimes there's a scar. And others still ache. And some totally hinder us. So we harm others sometimes. We've all been harmed. And we are all bystanders. Bystanders of harm. Meaning we all witness it. We see it. We overhear it. And so we're people who, who see it happening all the place. All the time. So this is important. It's happening all the time. We read it about in the news or social media. We hear about it. But most of us have never been taught about how to do the work of repairing harm. Nor have we ever seen it modeled. In American society is not good at doing the work of repentance and harm. American society is actually terrible of doing this work. And we can look at the most extreme harm that our society has caused, generational harm, to where there has been zero amends made. We would look at these and say, holy crap, not one step has been taken. Sometimes the response is, you know what, let's just go for unity and just get along. Let's, let's, let's just get back to, yeah, this doesn't help us to actually to dig into it. We're really terrible at it. Or we've practiced really bad practices of doing harm. So let me start with this. Bad apologies. These things are not apologies, just so you know. I've got a list of them. I've got an image. These, these things, so when it comes to you've done harm, someone's acknowledging it. These are examples of bad apologies. We'll pop up this image for things to say that aren't actually apologies. All right, so the first, this is not an apology. I'll apologize if. It's not my fault that you feel offended or that you feel hurt by what I said. You ever said that? 
or heard that to you? Well, I'm sorry that you felt bad for that. That's not an apology. <laughs> um, you know I didn't mean it that way. Let's just move on. I'm sorry, but this was your any kind of explanation, any kind of justification. And finally, I only said that because of the way you acted. So it was your fault. Those are not apologies. That's not how you do it. So if you have a practice of doing those things, you've got work to do to unlearn those things. These are not apologies. And so we have a practice of this. As a culture, we're no good at it. I'm no good at this. I have so much to learn. Why does it matter? It matters because we care. Because we care about people. It matters because, we, because without this, we'll have no community. Because we'll destroy relationships around us and we won't know how to fix them. It matters because love drives us this way. This is not about getting it perfect. This is just about knowing how to care for people. It matters as well because as we do learn how to um, how to right the harm or how to amend harm, we get transformed in the process. That's not the full aim. The full aim is to amend the harm. The victim is our aim. But we cannot help that we will be transformed as we do the work. We will be different people. And I think all of us, we, we, we long to, to be shaped and molded as we were meant to be. Image bearers of God who love each other and know how to right wrongs that we do. Love drives us towards this and it's essential for community. We kind of say here that we want to make places of belonging and you can't have a place of belonging if we wrong each other and we don't know how to make it right. We're going to offend each other and hurt each other around every turn. One of the, my friends in the community here it's a black woman, and the number of racist things that get said to her within this community is astounding. They're microaggressions. They're small. But when they happen it, all the time, it, 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 you know, and so a part of that is just knowing that, oh, when we harm someone, how do we actually do the work so that those aggressions stop? So this is why we're doing it. We're doing it because love drives it to us. This is going to take curiosity, vulnerability, and bravery as we step into the work of repair. And so part I would just love is to suspend the application if you're immediately scared about one, a relationship that you know that somebody has something against you that, that you've wronged. Boy, sometimes we just take a deep breath as we step into this and allow the Spirit of God to just lead us as we learn how to engage. Now, Jesus, when he was teaching his disciples, and he was teaching his disciples about how to be human, and, and what does it look like to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself? And in Matthew chapter 5, it's one of the biggest sermons out there, he teaches this. In Matthew 5, Jesus is speaking and says, you've heard 
you've heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. And if you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. Okay, good thing to teach people, don't murder each other. But I say to you, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. So verse 23, so if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, meaning you're engaged in your religious practice with God, you're, you're at the place of worship, the center, the, the most, according to a Jewish person, the most important place in the world. They consider it the navel, the, 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 the navel of the world. And you're at the altar before God, and you're presenting an, an offering before God either to say, thank you, God, for, for, for what? Or to say, God, I'm sorry, and you're presenting this before God. And Jesus says, and you, and you remember that one person has something against you. Leave your, leave your offering there, which is typically a dead piece of meat. <laughs> leave that there and go to them. Well, we, we can read the exact words. Let me get back to the exact words. So leave your sacrifice there at the altar Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. So go, go to that person. Be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Verse 25, when you're on your way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who hands you over to an officer and you'll be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you've paid the last penny. All right, so now again, Jesus is using examples and he's using courtroom cases, but he's driving people to one particular action. And the thing is, make right the relationships of people who have something against you. Be reconciled to them. Make it right with them. Amend that relationship. And Jesus, could Jesus say how utterly important this is? Could he use any other language to describe how important this is? Is there anything that would stop us from immediately saying, oh, this is utterly important? And Jesus is saying, oh, this is utterly important. This is more important than anything you think you're giving to God. Go make it right with them. Go make it right. Extend. You take the action. You know they've got something against you. Go be reconciled to them. Now, this, this idea is, is the term repentance. And this is a Jewish word. Teshuvah is the, is the Hebrew word. This is a concept of turning and returning. It's the idea of, of coming back to where you, you know you're supposed to be in right relationship. So turn. Jesus in Mark chapter 1, he, he announced the good news of everything. He said, all right, here's, the, here's my word. Here's what I'm proclaiming to you. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. 
Now, most of us, when we think about repenting of our sins, we think that's just us and God. And so we're like, oh, I'm going to repent of my sins. I've done some bad things. God, forgive me. Um, Jesus, forgive me. And we, we know, man, Jesus forgives everything. And, but, but most of the time when we think about repenting of the harm we've done between other people, we don't acknowledge the reality of repentance is bigger than just saying sorry to God. To turn, to return. So when Jesus said, repent of your sins, repent of the harm, and especially if you've done it to others, that was much more than saying you're sorry. So what does it entail? Well, this is where Rabbi Zanya gets into it. There was a 12th, so Jesus is Jewish, y'all know that, right? He was Jewish, he was raised in a Jewish context, he's speaking into Jewish systems, he's speaking into Jewish law, he's speaking into Torah, he, he's doing all of this. He's speaking into a Jewish word, he's using that when he announces this, this is a Jewish concept of repent. And when it comes to Judaism, there is, there is a prethala, there is a ton of information about what these words mean, and they wrestle, so what does it mean? to repent in the same way. What does it mean to observe Sabbath? And, and what does it mean to anything you're commanded to do, to be holy? They have these, and so in Jewish law, they, they've written extensively on what repentance looks like. In the 12th century, there was a philosopher, a scholar named Mohammedan, Mohammedes, and he took all of the Jewish writings from a couple of different sources and compiled them together because you had to be a scholar to understand it. And he wrote a work, and in that work, there was 12 chapters on repentance. <laughs> and Rabbi Danya said, all right, let's, let's put this work together for people pulling back from Jewish sources about what repentance looks like when it's repentance between humans. And these are the five steps. And so this is what I want to look at today. This is the context that we're in of Jesus saying, make things right. And so, and so how do we do this? What does it look like to actually to repent of our sin? And as I kind of said, all these steps are going to be per perpetrator-focused, meaning they're the steps of the person who has done harm, but all of them are going to be victim-centric. We're doing it with the victim in our minds. And we're not doing this to get any kind of um, expected response from them. You can have no expected response in this. You just need to do the work of repentance. And so, I got a little note sheet in there. Let's look at these five things. Let's play with them a little bit. And, um, and that's, that's going to be enough for today. We're going to practice it even a little bit as we go. Are you ready? You got your cue sheet in with you? I mean, even if you're not, I mean, we're going and, um, for 15 more minutes, and then we're going to go. Here's the first one. Step number one. Own the pain you've caused. This is confession. I did it. What I said was racist, sexist, ableist. When you own this, when you own the fact that what we've done is wrong, this is super challenging. And in the idea of owning that, that is potentially to the person you've harmed, or if it was public, you make the confession as public as the harm. 
Meaning you were on Twitter and you said something stupid. Then you own the harm on Twitter and make the apology. Or if you knew, you know, that like as, as public as the harm is, you do your best to do so. But you own it. You confess it. I did that. What this says is that the person has to comprehend the harm that they've caused. And there must be a willingness to face it. And again, this is all in proportion to the harm caused. But a confession must be met with the intention to do the work. So for the most of us, when we've seen this practice, it's really just this. I'm going to make an apology, and I'm only going to do that to check a box so I don't have to mess with this anymore. There's actually no work to be done. I just got to acknowledge in some sort of way, yeah, uh, whatever it was, and now that's it. This first step is a confession that just says, I get what I did. I get how that impacted you. Or I can see potentially how that impacted I could see how that was harmful. What I said was completely uninformed. And I have some work to do on that. That's what, there's no gaslighting. There's no buts. There's no explanation. It's just own the harm you caused. Now, sometimes it's just helpful if we get to be playful with this. So one example, I think some, some interesting examples. The artist Lizzo, um, super famous. It's actually a couple of things that have happened in the last year and a half. So Lizzo put out an album, and, on, and, and, and Lizzo is, uh, if you don't know her as an artist, she is one who's emotionally intelligent. She's clear about hurtful language. But in her first song, Girls, was an ableist term in it about spaz. And towards those with cerebral palsy, this, to spaz is a, is a condition. And so the song came out. Advocates of, for disability rights and, and work towards better language towards those. We even talked about the discrimination towards disability in our own context. She used that language. They, they shot out and say, what, Lisa, what are you doing? That's an ableist term. You know better than this. Called her out on that, and then Lizzo responds. Oh, we can't even see it, but her response, you can find it. It's been brought to my intention that there's a harmful word in my new song, Girls. Let me, let me make one thing clear. I never want to promote derogatory language. As a fat black woman in America, I've had many hurtful words used against me, so I understand the power words have, whether intentionally or in my case, unintentionally. I'm proud to say there's a new version of girls with a lyric change. This result of me listening, taking action. As an influential artist, I'm dedicated to being part of change that I've been waiting to see in the world. Acknowledge, confess, stepping. It's really interesting. It's kind of a beautiful case. Again, we're not going for perfection. We're not hitting a checklist, you know, they do, do it right. But it's a confession. They heard what was said. That was derogatory. Beyonce, a month later, did exactly the same thing. Acknowledged it and changed her song. 
re-recorded the song, re-recorded the lyric and put it back out there, got rid of the other one, took time, money, and effort in order to do so, so they heard it. It's really cool. Acknowledge the harm. That's the first step. Um, okay, so with, with this in mind, let's practice this. Let's playfully practice. We're going we're gonna to own the harm of words. You're going to say something that harms someone with your mouth. It's inevitable. You're going to say something that causes harm. We're going to say something that's sexist. We're going to say something that's racist. You're going to say something that's ableist. You're going to say something that's xenophobic. That means it's a, it's a fear of foreigners or people who aren't a part of your country. You're going to say something homophobic or transphobic or anti-Semitic. We're going to devalue someone with our words. We're going to undervalue them. We're going to say something that offends someone, and you didn't know that term was offensive. And then when they tell you that it is, we acknowledge it. Even if you don't fully understand, we acknowledge it because it caused harm. And so the apology of, oh, I'm sorry, you feel that way, is not an apology or confessing or owning. And so part of that is just an unlearning of things. And so let's practice with racism. So when we say, I said something racist, does that make you a racist? No. It means you said something that was racist. When you do something racist, does that make you a racist? No. It means you did something racist. In our world, even people who are white supremacists say, I'm not racist. <laughs> but the reality is, all of us say things and do things that are racist. And so we can acknowledge those things. And that doesn't mean you are a racist. That just means you say things that are racist. And you do things that are racist. Because we haven't learned. So we're going to practice this. And so here's what we want to do. We're going to pretend you don't need to go off and say something racist. We're going to pretend that has happened. And to the person next to you, I just want you to practice to pretend owning it. And here's a script for you. What I said was racist. Could you repeat that back to me? I have learning and unlearning to do around this. I'm sorry for the harm I caused you. I want to change. Now, if that's utter BS, then don't do it. So you need to take a moment and take a pause and make sure that what you're saying is actually true. Because otherwise, you know, right, it's, it's worthless. We do it because we care, and we care about people. We do it because love drives us towards it. We do it because this is what being human looks like. So again, turn, take to a person next to you. If you're sitting by yourself, you can say it to the two people in front of you. You can make it your own words, but part of the practice is not adding any explanation. Part of the practice is not saying but. It's not trying to do anything. It's just let it be that. 
And so we want to say, I said something racist. I have some learning and some unlearning to do. I'm sorry for this, this harm. And again, we're not making this the apology, but I think contextually, we'll have a hard time acknowledging harm without saying we're sorry in it. But as you can see in the steps, apology is coming, but not yet. For it to really, for it to really mean something. We're acknowledging the harm, I wanna change. So would you practice it again, using your words and way to the person next to you, just a way of being playful, say with um, a sincere face, as sincere as you can. Think about those, like Sarah McLaughlin and those like dog videos, you know. Um, ready? I'm gonna give you 60 seconds. Practice again. Oh my word, I think there's like 20 angels that just got their wings by all this practice. <laughs> um, John Lewis in the Civil Rights Movement, they practiced doing courageous things. They practiced stepping in to stores and to restaurants they knew that were whites only. They practiced going up and sitting at the counter and, and had people do terribly offensive things to them so they would not respond with violence. And so we have to practice doing courageous things. And, and it is totally courageous to own harm that you've caused, even if it's small. We just don't see that in our world. So well done. You've practiced it. Maybe we'll have a little bit of, uh, of strength or a little bit of courage. Like, oh, wait a minute, I can do this the next time up. So first, um, we name, we take ownership, right? We own the harm we've caused. Two. We take steps to change. This is the work portion. That means maybe you dump your friends who are toxic. Maybe that's um, engaging in therapy. Maybe that's going into rehab. Maybe that's stepping into recovery and going through 12 steps. Maybe that's prayer or meditation. Or meditation. Maybe it's just education. Maybe it's doing work on anti-racist work or in discrimination, or learning that's coming up. But these are steps that we can take. And so our goal for all of this is to make amends, but there's also this hope of transformation. There were people who are growing. There is, even though there's thorns and there's rocks and everything from that testimony time, there is good soil in all of us. That, proves, that pulls up good life in us as God nurtures it. 
And as we step into this work that is beautiful and good, that helps to amend, but also helps with us being transformed. So we must engage in the process of transformation. Without this, without the work, without the transformation, there's only the guarantee of doing the same harm. But maybe in different ways. So we take steps to change. For me, in that, in that, even as that moment of like not cleaning up my mess, as I think about that, I'm always pushing the boundaries of just trying, doing, trying to do too many things. And typically, when it comes down to it, I'm like really good for the first 80% of a job of whatever I do, but the last 20%, the last 10%, the put stuff away, the final cleanup, the put the trim on the molding, to, you know, to finish the paint of a little thing, terrible, terrible, the finishing. And a part of that for me, for even this one, all I had to do was ask for help. <laughs> I, had a, I had amazing, beautiful people with me at this launch. All I had to do is, is just say, can somebody help me? But it didn't. I just mustered it up like I'm going to pull it off myself and went on my way without doing the job. So for me, the part of that work I'm trying to, that I have yet to do is like, why am I not asking for help? I mean, half of you already helped me already. So that means half of you I haven't asked, and so I can ask you without overburdening the other half of you who helped me all the time. <laughs> Right? So that's, that's just a part of it. It's like this, this work. What, what do we got to do to change? It's like, why am I struggling to ask for help? And, and part of that is I got to think through the things where I got to need help with. And then ask it. This builds community. So we think about um, that change. What is the change that's needed to happen? I mean, we, need, we need each other to help with this so we can actually take steps. So we can actually bring, what can I do? What's the issue here? How did I get myself here? What's going on with the harm that I caused? Why is it I'm always saying stupid things? Well, what do you got to do? Talk to somebody. Engage in it. Do the work to change. That's number two. Number three, this is where you'd actually make amends. You'd make things right. Um, you hurt someone, pay their doctor bills. Pay for the missed work. Pay for their suffering. Donate money or time to an organization. Become an advocate. Already you guys are saying, oh my gosh, I'm going to be so poor at the end of this. <laughs> yeah. But does that mean there's money involved? Potentially. Again, it's all about the harm. What, what was the harm caused? You hurt someone physically, put them in the hospital. Yeah, there's probably an amends to be made there. But in my case, the harm that I caused is I stole someone, I took away someone else's time because I didn't take care of the mess that I did. And they were already tired too. So they stayed back and cleaned it. So I was like, oh, I, I, I took your time. The men's portion that I was like, how can I, how can I give them back time? And so I made them dinner. I was like, hey, I, I took your time. Would, would this be a way? Could I, could I make you dinner? Do you, do you make, are you responsible for the dinner for your family tonight? And they're like, yes, I am. I was like, can I do that as a way of giving you back time? And I like, absolutely. So that, that's how I made men's with something like that. 
I, I made the amends in that way. So amends is all proportionate to the harm that is caused. And it's helpful if you actually bring the person who's harmed into the conversation. Just because you think it brings amends, it may not. They're a part of the process. How can I make it right? How can I repair the breach? The party that has caused the harm must make restitutions for that harm in whatever way possible. Our actions have consequences. I mean, the reality is even for microaggressions, they're small but consistent offenses. What do we do? How do you make amends? How can I make this right? How can I help with the harm? So it might just take, again, if they're small, there may not be anything physical or tangible for that amends. But in our day, we're going to find something that we can do to, to amend it. We're asking that question, what can I do to make it right? This is not to check a box. This is for the sake of bringing healing and repair as we think about that. How can we amend it? What could we step to? For some, I've known that they've, they, uh, so Lizzo, what did she do for the amends? She was like, I'm going to re-record the song and change the lyric. Easy enough, there's the amend. Step four, apologize. Sometimes this is not linear, and so don't get caught up in it too much. But the first three steps actually prepare us so that when we do bring an apology, it's more than just, I'm sorry. They prepare us. So when we step before them, we're not saying, we're not giving an apology because we're supposed to say it. We're doing it because they really matter to us. And making amends really matters to us. This requires vulnerability and empathic listening. It demands a sincere offering of regret and sorrow for one's actions. This is not about checking off the appropriate boxes or seeking an outcome that would benefit you. This is the outgrowth of the work of repentance. And again, to remind in that apology, there is no expectation for how they should respond. You can bring zero expectation of how they should respond into the conversation. That will only make it worse. If you bring the apology and you're like, do you see what I've done? Do you see all that I've done in this? No, you, you come vulnerable. They may not receive your apology. At that point, that's not, that, that, that's okay. That's for them. But we want to do the work to make things right. For some, when they step into the apology and some doesn't do, to receive it, that's when people would take a couple other people with them to say, help, come with me and help me listen. Be witnesses to this to help me mend this relationship and to heal it. But you suspend your expectation. You can't expect things to go back to the way they were. You can't expect that they apologize for whatever part you think that they had in it as well or for the things that they have done to hurt you. You can't expect them to fully receive it. We just come and we offer our regret and sorrow for our actions. The apology. 
Now, step five is kind of interesting, and I liked it as a part of this, because it may not even be part of the process as a linear way, but it says this, don't do it again. It, it brings it to account that there seems like there's a retest. I remember I was going through this leadership stuff for people, and they say, there's always a retest. Meaning, you were tested in some way, or that, that, that there's always the opportunity to learn again. Meaning that you're, you're always going to find yourself in similar situations. So there's always the opportunity to do it differently another time. And so the hope is, is that when we find ourselves in a similar spot, we will not do the same thing again. That if we don't do the work to change, we will find ourselves in this situation. The work that we're going for is transformation. It's about seeing other people suffering and taking responsibility for the role that we might have in causing it. It's about ownership, owning who we have been and what we have done, but also owning the person that we're capable of becoming. If we respond differently, don't do it again. What's so hopeful about this is what we can believe is that God is at, he is involved in this work in us. God is involved in this work of healing and restoration because this is the work that God loves. God is in work in you. And we don't do this work alone. We do it with each other, the help of each other, the support of each other. Whether we're a perpetrator or a victim, the community is what helps us. God is the one who helps us. When harm happens, we all have to care for each other. I love these words of Jesus when he talks about conflict. And he said, where two or three are gathered, I'm there among you. Most of the time when you hear that in a church setting, we say in any kind of religious setting where two or three are gathered, God is among us. But Jesus was talking about conflict when he said that. He said that when you're going to someone who's hurt you, when you're gathered in that kind of, I'm there. God is among us in this work. Because he cares about us as we care about each other. Okay, that's it for today. These are the five steps. You've got your notes. Maybe you'll find an opportunity to practice this. But next week we're going to dig into to very specifically personal relationships where we've caused harm. A brother, a sister, a neighbor, a friend, a coworker, your parent, your grandparent. You're all right, it's just a personal relationship and how do we engage in it? How do we engage in it specifically? We're gonna go through the five steps again. I'll give you another sheet next week so we can make notes if you want to, put it on your refrigerator and, and to encourage this work. But I just pray, would you just be curious this week? Would you be curious as you talk about that, as we think of these steps and you say, how interesting. When I have harmed people before, maybe you do this intuitively. Or maybe you're like, ah, I think I do a couple steps, but may maybe there's one or two I've never done. Just talk about it. Engage in it. Where's your strength? Where's your weakness? Where, where do you get scared? What, what questions do you have? 
This is how we learn. Ask them. Talk about them. I am terrible at this. So if you've got a context and you say, what about this? I'm going to say, I don't know. Find five other people and ask them too. I want to, I want to grow in this as well. With the help of God and by the Spirit of God, may we do so. May we feel it's an opportunity for God to want to do good in us and not like you're bad. We harm people. We do. That does not make us bad. That means we just harm people sometimes. We have a God who says, oh, go make it right. We can do that. Why are we making it right? Because we care about each other. Love drives us this way. May we be reminded of that. Even when our fear is right in front of our faces, love drives us. So be curious. Be gracious with yourself. And let's see if we can practice. We're going to take communion. Oh, man. How did I already get that late? I am so sorry. And so, uh, Imad, you guys have a song for us for communion? Awesome. Do, do I have anybody, anybody willing to serve communion? Me four people. It means you hold, you're going to hold the trays. <laughs> and we'll have two on this side and two on this side. Thank you. You are the juice person. You'll be the juice one on this side. Uh, I want to thank Bert Bradley. Bert made the sourdough bread for us today. Him and his wife Kathleen are Zoom people and stuff. But, you know, the rising process is like two days when he's preparing his dough. And then he baked it. So I'm going to tear one in half. Uh, as Jesus talked about that bread as his body. Wow, that sourdough. I do exercise. <laughs> You've got and they'll tear that off. So Bird has made that bread for our community. Um, it's beautiful. It smells beautiful. If you're um, allergic to gluten, we've got the crackers right in here in the middle. You can grab that instead of tearing off a piece. Um, my, I, my dream of mine is that we'll have someone who makes their own wine or juice and something, and we can bring that in. I was told a story of somebody who was doing country wine in their closet. It was my dream for that to take place. Um, for communion, because I just think that's just beautiful. We're reminded of Jesus offering himself to us in the context of community. In Jesus' final prayer, or prayer record in John 17, he's like, Father, my dream for them is that they would be one, as we're one. My hope is they could be one together, they could be unified, they could, yeah, they could have community, because as they're one with each other, their world will know that you've sent me. We're not one because we don't harm each other. We're one because we know how to mend the relationships after we've harmed each other and we know how to forgive each other. This is what our God knows how to do better than any of us. And so we receive his welcome, we receive his forgiveness, we re receive all of the benefits of God and God's love for us, but also as we receive that strength, we practice in the way that our God loves and encourages us to mend. 
So we invite you. Our table is open, not because we have it together, but because we need God and he welcomes us and he welcomes all of us. So this practice is us welcoming God's love and forgiveness, but also welcoming each other and knowing that we'll potentially hurt each other. But we also will potentially make it right out of love and forgiveness. So Father, thank you for your gifts. Thank you for your body that is broken for us. Thank you for forgiveness that you welcome us to your table and you say, your, your harms and your brokenness doesn't stop the relationship, your love and your work within us. You welcome us to your table. And so when we find strength in your body and your blood, extend your love to one another, we pray. Amen. And so we invite you, if you want to come down the middle and then go back to the sides, come up here, grab the juice, the piece of bread, and eat it immediately as you receive it. Let's come and receive communion to this song. Thank you so much. So we are done. You can find my glasses. But as you know, so we've started hosting for the Warming Center. And if you can stay for a few minutes, we'd love your help bringing down blankets from the balcony. 
So we're preparing the bedding for those who are staying with us. So there's some blankets in the balcony. But also, if you've signed up to help with setup today, you're part of that team, please meet Austin down in South Hall immediately following the service. So if you've got a few moments to be able to help us, that'd be fabulous. Have a great Sunday. We, um, Bert made two loaves, so I've got another sourdough loaf right here. Anybody spending time with any friends today that would like a sourdough loaf who could share it with some people and, and have lunch or things like that, I've got a sourdough loaf available to anyone who, um, well, that would be just a cool gift for your family that's made for the church and to serve this body. So God bless you guys. If you can help, do so. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week as we talk more about this.